Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our worship minister, Paul French, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Well, good morning once again. It's a privilege and an honor for me to be able to open God's word for us today. Um, I'm thankful to Pastor Daniel for allowing me the opportunity to do so. And I thank you for being here and uh, being willing to listen to me as, as I bring forth the word of God. Today we're going to be in the book of Colossians. You'll find Colossians in the New Testament. We'll be in chapter 3, verse 16. But before we read the scripture, I want to share just a little bit about the book of Colossians. Colossians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae. And during this time, Paul wrote the prison epistles, which includes Colossians, but also Ephesians, Philippians, as well as Philemon. The city of Colossae was one of three cities located about 100 miles from Ephesus. While this area was an important trade route, Colossae began to shrink in size until it was what we would consider a small town. And Paul did not start the church at Colossae. In fact, he hadn't even set foot in the town or in the city. The church there had begun because of his three-year ministry in Ephesus, when all who lived in Asia, which includes Colossae, heard the gospel of Jesus. And we'll see this as we continue in the book of Acts uh, within the next few weeks, perhaps a month or so, as Daniel journeys through uh, that book with us. So if Paul did not start this church, if he had not even set foot in this town, why would he write a letter to this church? It's a small town. So we might think that it's of very little consequence. Why? Why would the Apostle Paul take his time to write to such a church? Do you remember the sermon series that Pastor Daniel preached? It's probably been over a year now. It was through the book of Philemon. We heard about Onesimus. Isn't that a great name, Onesimus? He was a runaway slave of Philemon. And Philemon was one of the leaders of the church in Colossae. The Apostle Paul led Onesimus to Christ, and then he wrote his letter to Philemon where he asked him to forgive Onesimus and receive him back as a brother in Christ. Is that sounding familiar? Anybody recall that as Daniel preached through that a while back? Colossians makes clear that there were false teachers who had infiltrated the church with many kinds of philosophies, new ideas, and heretical doctrines. Paul heard about this and wrote his letter to the Colossian church to confirm the truths of the gospel and to refute the false teachings. We need to understand that false teaching is a crisis in the church. It was a crisis for the church in Colossae, and it is today a crisis in the worldwide church. 
This is one of the reasons that Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians. So in today's passage of Scripture, Paul tells the Colossians to do several things. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. It says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you. We thank you that we can trust in your word. We're thankful that it is true. It's trustworthy. It's accurate. We can, we can read it with confidence knowing that it is truly breathed out by you. So God, this morning as we dig into your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would do the work that the Holy Spirit does, and that is to illuminate uh, the words of the, of the Bible, the scripture passage that we are in. Help us to understand. Uh, God, help us to allow the word to dwell richly in us individually and also in us as a congregation. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We hear first about the word of Christ. The passage that we just read starts with, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This means the word of God. We could stop here and camp out for quite a while, don't you think? Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. As I said earlier, there were false teachers in the church at Colossae. Sometimes false teachers are so blatantly obvious that as soon as they open their mouths, you can tell that they are spewing forth lies. However, Satan is active and he seeks to get Christians off the path. And false teachers can emerge with smooth talking that includes words we use in the church. They can even twist scripture to conform to their own ideas and ideals. We have to be on guard against false teachers and false doctrine. How can we be on guard? How can we know when we are being taught the truth and when we are being fed lies? Well, first, we as the church must demand gospel saturation in all that we do. We must demand gospel saturation in all that we do. We have to demand it. We have to expect it. We can't settle for anything less than gospel saturation in everything that we do in our life as a church, as North Roanoke, in our individual lives. Everything we do needs to be saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not enough to say, if we can get to the gospel, we will, or we're just going to love on people and hopefully we'll find the time to tell them the truths of God's word later. No, we start with the gospel, we end with the gospel, and in the middle, you guessed it, the gospel. The gospel must be at the center of all that we do. It needs to be our foundation. It needs to be our focus. It needs to be the point. It needs to be the marrow of our very bones. It needs to be in our hearts so deeply that if you could somehow remove it, 
we would cease to be who we are. Yes, we will love on people. Yes, we will show them the kindness of Christ. We are commanded to love our neighbors as ourselves, and we will do so with great joy and obedience. But we must never accept the false dichotomy that loving people and sharing the truth of the gospel are not related. In fact, not only uh, do we find that to be true, we know that loving people and sharing the gospel go hand in hand. In the book of Colossians, the false teachers came to the church with their own traditions, their own religious rules, and human philosophies. They put themselves in a place of authority over God's word, picking and choosing what they would adhere to, and trying to make the word support their opinions and values. I'm going to say that again. They were standing above the word, picking and choosing. They were going to the word to support their own ideas. Does that sound familiar for us today? Have you seen or heard people, maybe in a conversation or maybe on uh, the barren wasteland that is Facebook and social media, where people are looking to the Bible to confirm what they already believe instead of looking to the Bible prayerfully, seeking the guidance of the Holy Spirit for that to conform their very lives, their very heart, their very minds, their very opinions. We go to the Word to know what truth is. We don't approach the Word to then feel good about ourselves and our own ideas and ideals. It didn't work then in the church in Colossae. It doesn't work now. It will never work. The Word of God always makes much of Christ. In fact, the entirety of Scripture points to Jesus. Yes, even the Old Testament. The entirety of Scripture points to our Savior, Jesus. We don't approach the Bible to affirm our own views. We approach the Bible knowing that it is the very word of God containing only truth and no errors with the power to transform us if we will allow the Holy Spirit to do his work through the word as we read. When you read scripture, do you approach it prayerfully? Do you ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand? If you don't do that, I'd encourage you to do so. In fact, uh, I've, I've preached uh, several times, not often. I've preached here once before. I've preached at other churches. And sometimes when I sit down with a passage of Scripture that I'm going to preach, I read it and I think, wow, I have to preach on this. What am I going to say? And you know what? It's not about what I'm going to say. It's, what, it's about what the Holy Spirit is speaking in those words. It's not about me or Daniel or Ethan or Hope coming up with something new and fresh and creative. It's about opening the Word of God, studying it, asking the Holy Spirit to do what he does, and to then share that with the church. So as you read, I would encourage you to do so with a prayerful heart, asking the Holy Spirit to speak. 
Wearsby reminds us of this truth. It was not the word of false teachers that brought salvation to the Colossians. It was the word of the truth of the gospel. The words of the false teachers could not bring about salvation. The words of the false teachers only brought about confusion. It's the word of God that brought about salvation. No one is saved through false teaching. We are saved by God when we hear his word proclaimed and we respond. The word dwell, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word dwell means to feel at home. For those of us who have experienced salvation, which means we've experienced the grace and the peace of Christ, then the word of Christ will feel at home in our hearts and in our lives. But Paul didn't write this letter just for individual Christians. He wrote this letter to the church at Colossae. When he said for the word of Christ to dwell among you, he intended for this to apply to the church as a whole. Wearsby explains that as it dwells richly in each member of the church, it will dwell richly in the church fellowship. Did you catch that? As it dwells richly in each individual member, it will then dwell richly in the church fellowship. We have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters in Christ to allow the word of Christ to dwell in us as individuals so that the word will dwell even more deeply within our church. That's a responsibility that we have to allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. Let it change us. And then as it changes us, our church can be changed. As the word dwells in us, it will dwell in our church body. Secondly, and this is where the title of the sermon comes from, and you might think, well, of course you would say this. Here's our second point. We must be a singing people. We must be a singing people. Notice that I did not choose to say we should be or if we feel like it, we can sing. We must be a singing people. The Bible makes clear in multiple places that we are to sing and to make music to praise God. In Colossians 3.16, Paul communicates with the church that there is a relationship between what we know about the Bible and how we worship in song. There's a relationship between what we know about the Bible and how we worship in song. As we sing, we teach one another about the truths of God's word. So singing in the church helps to train us in the ways of Christ. Singing is formative. Have you ever thought about it in that way? Singing is formative. It helps to form us. It helps to shape us. Therefore, everything we must or uh, I'm sorry, therefore everything we sing must be filtered through the word of God. My responsibility to you as your worship leader is to choose songs that always point to Christ. I have to choose songs that are filled with the truths of the gospel. This is a burden I bear with great joy 
and satisfaction. I take it incredibly seriously, and though it is weighty, it is a great blessing to me. Something I think about often is this. I am literally putting words in your mouth every time we gather to worship our king. If you didn't know, I'm the one who picks the songs. I put the words on the screen. I say, or Jesse says, stand and sing. And what do most of you do? You stand and sing. I am putting words in your mouth. That's, that's a great responsibility. Because what we sing becomes what we believe. So I have to choose songs that point to Christ. I have to choose songs that contain the truths of the gospel because my responsibility to you is to give you songs that are true. Songs that make much of Christ. If I didn't take this responsibility seriously, I would be immediately disqualified from ministry. You wouldn't want a worship leader who arbitrarily chooses songs for the congregation to sing. Our singing must be rooted in the word. I've shared with you before that there is a vertical aspect of worship and there is a horizontal aspect of worship. When we sing, we are lifting our voices in praise to God. That's the vertical plane. Also, when we sing, we are singing to one another. That is the horizontal plane. When Paul says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, he's speaking of the horizontal plane of worship. When someone comes into the worship gathering with a discouraged heart, possibly even wondering if God still cares, he benefits from the instruction that comes from his brothers and sisters in Christ when they sing with confidence, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We've sung those words many times here. Those words instruct the people who are gathered with us. A few moments ago, we sang truths that are instructive to all of us. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him, Jesus, and pardon me. How about this one? Now your mercy has saved my soul. Now your freedom is all that I know. The old made new, Jesus, when I met you. We're instructing each other. We are reminding one another of what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 15, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So while that song that I quoted is not scripture set to music, it does point us to the truths of the Bible. It points us to Christ. We're talking about being a new creation in Christ. The more we know and understand the word of God, the deeper and richer our worship becomes. The better we know the word, the more honestly we can sing it from our hearts. One way the word can dwell among us richly is through the ministry of our teaching, admonishing, 
and singing. Have you ever thought about your participation in the worship service, your joyful participation, your active participation, uh, your convictional participation? Have you thought about that as ministry to your brothers and sisters in Christ? Think about that for a moment. Do you ever come into this place and say, by coming here, by standing and singing, by listening attentively to the word, I could be helping one of my brothers in Christ or one of my sisters in Christ. As I'm speaking, there might be some of you in this room who are thinking, well, I know what you're talking about. I came in here today and I needed to see my brothers and sisters in Christ exclaim with boldness the truths that we're singing. So when you come into this place, know that yes, we are always lifting up a voice of praise to our King, to our Redeemer, that vertical plane. But the horizontal plane, when you come and you come and gather with the church, you are ministering to one another. You're helping someone who is struggling. Someone who feels that God is not near. Just by coming and singing. That's important for us to realize. It's not about us. We're not coming to church to see what we can get or what we can gain. We, we want to be served. We want people to do all sorts of stuff for us. We want Paul to do all the music that we like. We want Daniel to only preach the scriptures that are easy to hear. That's not why we're here. We're here to praise our king and to encourage one another in the faith. This passage speaks of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, there's a little bit of debate on what this means, so I'm going to give you one understanding of it, which I don't think is wrong, but I'm also going to give you a different understanding, which I think is probably a better understanding. So the first is psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This can be viewed as three distinct types of songs that the church should sing when they gather. We can sing psalms by actually singing the words found in the book of Psalms. In fact, churches for generations, that is predominantly what they did. It was called the Psalter. And uh, even uh, in the span of a couple hundred years ago, people in churches would have a hymnal and they would have a Psalter in the pews. So singing actually the words of the Psalms. So that is the first part. Hymns are different in that these are songs that are written by the church rather than the words of the psalms put to music. So strictly speaking, a hymn is any song of praise that any song of praise to God that has been written by someone in the church. Now, spiritual songs is a category that's a little bit more difficult to pin down. But some theologians say that a spiritual song is a song that is sung to one another about God, rather than a hymn, which is a song that is sung to God. So we're talking about that vertical versus horizontal plane that we had mentioned before. Within this framework, we could say that a spiritual song, one that is sung to one another, 
might be his mercy is more. We do that one here at our church. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. And a hymn, which is addressing God, could be a song such as Build My Life. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. So we're speaking to our God in that song. Practically speaking, though, I don't believe Paul's point is to have a checklist ready to determine if we sang the appropriate number of songs within each category of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Rather, I believe, as many scholars and theologians do, that this categorical list is primarily an encouragement to sing multiple, st multiple types and multiple styles of music when we gather to worship. These terms reveal the variety of sung worship that was present in the early churches. Are we to have any less variety than the early church? Of course not. We are not to have any less variety than the early church. When singing, which is a gift from a good God that is meant to unite us in his truth, becomes a source of division, we grieve the Holy Spirit. When our singing divides us rather than unites us, it grieves the Holy Spirit. If the worship we offer to God through song accomplishes the purposes Paul set forth for us in Colossians 3.16, it doesn't matter the style or genre, as long as we maintain a healthy, <clears throat> a healthy variety so as to not become so wedded to one genre that we put style before the Savior. We are not to put style before the Savior. We should have variety. We should make much of Christ with everything we sing. And truthfully, I'm not sure how the church came to the position that God can only be worshipped through hymns of a certain time frame in history. The people of God were writing hymns long before any of the songs we sing at church came to be. We are going to hear in the book of Acts uh, soon. Paul and Silas were singing in the jail. Do you think what they sang sounded anything like what we sing at North Roanoke? Do you think what they sang sounded anything like what North Roanoke sang in her first years of ministry as a church? We don't even have the, the concept to understand what their music sounded like. Were they singing faithfully to our God? Yes, they were. We're singing faithfully to our God as well. Faithful Christians throughout all eras of church history have been writing songs that glorify God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The copyright date is of no consequence. I give thanks to God that he gifted faithful lyricists and composers who wrote such songs as Be Thou My Vision, it is well with my soul. 
amazing grace. Death was arrested. Christ the Lord is risen today. King of kings, it is finished. And living hope. These are all hymns. And we can sing them with assurance that the words contained within point us to Christ and the gospel. And that we are following Paul's directive in Colossians 3.16 when we sing these hymns together. It doesn't matter that Living Hope was written in 2018. It doesn't matter that It Is Well With My Soul was written in 1873 and Be Thou My Vision was written around the 8th century. So yes, at one point, It Is Well With My Soul was considered contemporary or modern worship. It's all music that helps the church worship the one living and true God. That is what is important. People will gather today in third world countries to worship God, and their music will sound nothing like what we sing here at North Roanoke. Is God any less magnified through their music? Absolutely not. Worship is a rhythm of revelation and response. When God reveals himself to us, we respond. We are gathered to worship as we sing and hear God's word proclaimed. Hearing his word is revelation. How then will we respond? In the passage today, we find that singing is an appropriate response to the word. When the word of Christ dwells in us richly, that's revelation, we respond as a congregation in song. Church, I pray that as people of God, we would feel as though we have no other option but to sing. No other option but to sing. When we know the gospel of Christ, a proper response to his word proclaimed is to sing, Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There is salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hymn writer and worship leader Matt Boswell says this, the greatest truths of the gospel have always been designed to cause the greatest praise. Did you hear the revelation and response, that rhythm that this author is talking about? The greatest truths of the gospel revelation, have always been designed to cause the greatest praise. Response. When we hear the word proclaimed, when we know the word, when we know the living Lord Jesus Christ, that changes how we praise. That changes how we worship. If the word of God dwells in us richly, we should have no option but to sing. It should be such that when the congregation stands to sing, if you're able to stand, you should feel that there is no way I can stay seated. When the congregation begins to sing, you should feel as though you have no other option but to join in and sing. Now, 
You all know I'm a music teacher, right? I, I do teach the little ones. I call them travel size uh, kids. Uh, I teach pre-K through fifth grade. I work with kids, and I work with adults here at church on their singing voice, accessing a singing voice. And I'm not going to go into the music education of it all, but I will say this. We are commanded to sing. And it's not just if you think you have a good voice. What, what is a good voice anyway? What does that mean? When you think about people that are in the professional music industry, you may love this singer over here and really not want to hear this singer over here, and your friend might have a completely opposite point of view. So what is a good voice anyway? Well, you know what? To our God, a good voice is any person, any child of God who is lifting his or her voice in praise. So don't sit here or stand here and think, well, we'll let Paul do the singing, or we'll let Jesse do the singing, or we'll let any number of other people do the singing, and, and you know, my, I just make a joyful noise. I'm, I'm not going to sing, you know, that nobody wants to hear that. Yes, we absolutely do, and if you think about what I mentioned earlier, that our singing as a congregation is a ministry to one another, don't rob your brothers and sisters in Christ of your participation. It's not about you. We should participate fully, whether you would be excited to have a microphone or whether it might make you hyperventilate if you have a microphone. <laughs> we should sing to our king. It's not about if you're a soloist. It's not about if you have taken voice lessons. It's not about if you can read music. Just sing. That's all we ask. Now, I don't want to pick on Pastor Daniel, but uh, we were doing uh, a practice worship service uh, this past week uh, to help our tech crew. There are a lot of worship tech needs that we have with live streaming and sound and all that kind of stuff. So we were doing a, practi a practice worship service, and uh, Jesse was back in the booth, and he was having me go through the same song over and over and over to let people try out all the equipment and, and practice the equipment in the back. <clears throat> My voice was getting a little, a little tired. And uh, Pastor Daniel, if you don't know this, he um, wants to be a drummer, and uh, he loves to sing. He loves to sing. And he can actually hold a tune. He, he, he can sing all right, but he, he was like, do you, do you, Paul, do you, do you need me? Do you need me? And I said, well, you know, we got a mic here. Why not? Let, let's go for it. So he was having a blast. I forget what song we were doing, but he was, I mean, he was just, he was on it. He was loving it. Now, I'm going to pick on Jesse for a moment. Jesse was in the back, and... Uh, he said, hey, uh, can we go back to Paul, please? <laughs> now, I tell you that just because it's fun. Uh, but also, it doesn't matter. Daniel was singing fine. He was making uh, 
music to praise his creator. He was excited that he had a microphone that had batteries in it (laughs) and was connected to the sound system. And he was doing a great job. He was singing and praising our Lord. It doesn't matter what kind of voice you have. We need to sing. We need to praise. So finally, my final point. As we respond, we respond with thankfulness. That rhythm of revelation and response. When it's time to respond, we respond with thankfulness, with glad and thankful hearts. When God's word dwells in us, when it has a true home among us, our hearts will overflow with thankfulness. The gospel of Christ is truly good news for all mankind. You'll hear people say that the gospel is not good news. You'll hear people say that we should live our truth or we should do what seems right or you are fine the way you are. We know that the gospel of Christ calls us to more. The gospel of Christ is truly good news for all mankind. After all, the gospel of Christ tells us that we are sinners. We are sinners in need of a Savior because we cannot save ourselves. If the gospel stopped there, it could not be called the gospel. It would not be good news. We are sinners in need of a Savior, and God in his goodness and his kindness has made a way for us to be reconciled to him through Jesus Christ. So the gospel truly is good news for all mankind. If we are saved through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and his subsequent resurrection, we can be confident of our position before God. When God sees us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees the perfection of Jesus. Dr. Scott Pace, who has been at our church and has spoken to our students uh, several years ago, he's a professor at Southeastern, he says this, a proper understanding of our positional status in him not only saturates our hearts with love and peace, but also primes our hearts to overflow in celebration of our Savior. We keep hearing that revelation and response, don't we? If we understand God's word, if we know as Christians our position before God, we are primed, our hearts are primed to overflow in celebration of our Savior. When we understand the gospel, when it dwells among us, we are changed forever. With changed hearts transformed by Jesus, we can't help but be thankful to God. At this time, I'd like to ask our musicians to come up, and as they do, I would encourage you to examine your own hearts. Do you truly desire for the word to dwell among us? 
do you truly desire for the Word to dwell among us? Does the Word of God permeate everything you do? Maybe you're here today and you know you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior. You can trust in Christ today. It is His Word that must dwell among us. And it is to Him we offer our songs of praise. And it is from Him that true thanks flows. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the Gospel. We thank you for Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for this gathering of believers here today at North Roanoke. And I pray that you would help us to allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. We know that when we encounter the Lord Jesus Christ, when we let his word dwell among us, we are changed. So God, we pray for continual change and transformation in us individually, in us as a church. May we grow closer to you and may other lives be changed because of it. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.